Hunter this week on the Hoopercast Movie Hour. You've made it. It's Friday. Congratulations. You're here, and the weekend is upon us. Good for you. Um, it's just me this week on the Hoopercast Movie Hour. Uh, Dustin is busy, and there's a lot of film news I wanted to sort of talk about, and I couldn't really get into it on the daily show or on the morning show. Whatever. The, what are we calling that thing now? Whatever we call it. Um, <clears throat> I didn't really have time to get into it in such a short format. Um, that's more for the straight story or a quick little hot take on a relatively small news story. But um, when that came up, Oh God, toner crust there. Oh, gross. Gross. Um, <clears throat> when that came up as something that we might be talking about, um, the news I'm talking about tonight, that is. Uh, I just thought, no, nah, I need more time. I need more time, and I can't wait till next week because we're not going to do that much film news next week on the on the movie hour to make room for our guest. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, so it would be outdated by the time we got to it. And frankly, I'm so pissed about some of this that I just have to spout off on, spout off on it now. So there is no film review tonight on the show. Um, if you are disappointed in that. I will see you next week. We're talking about Demolition Man. Go check it out. You'll be a better person for it. You'll be worse for a second, and then you'll be a better person. Um, Yeah, no film review this week. We're doing all film news, and I'll tell you right now, I'll just tell you right off the top, just in case you didn't get this from the, the file name of the episode or whatever else, the captions, whatever I didn't... Um, whatever I didn't spell out for you tonight. We are talking about several news items. Okay. We're talking about the Spider-Man news. We're talking about the matrix news. We're talking about the breaking bad news. We're talking about, um, an article about the hunt. Okay. That's the news tonight. Those are the four main items. If you're not into any of those stories, we'll see you later, but that's what I'm going into tonight. Let's start with the matrix. Ah, this news comes from variety. The Matrix 4 is officially a go with Keanu Reeves, Carrie Ann Moss, and Lana Wachowski. Um, Lana Wachowski is set to write and direct a fourth film set in the world of The Matrix with Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss reprising their roles as Neo and Trinity, respectively. Warner Brothers Pictures and Village Roadshow Pictures will produce and globally distribute the film. Warner Brothers uh, Picture Group Chairman Toby Emmerich, uh, Toby Emmerich made the announcement on Tuesday. We could not be more excited to be re-entering The Matrix with Lana, said Emmerich. Lana is a true visionary, a singular and original creative filmmaker, and we are thrilled that she is writing, directing, and producing this new chapter in The Matrix universe. Um, beginning production at the top of uh, next year. 2020 Warner Brothers has been trying for the last couple of years to find a way to get back into the Matrix universe, but a holdup over producing rights slowed the project down. Uh, and then basically Keanu Reeves got a lot more popular with mainstream audiences again because of the John Wick films and Toy Story 4, um, drumming up excitement and interest in him. So that seems like it tipped the scales right over the edge where they needed to be. Um, <clears throat> Plot details are currently unknown, as is how the role of Morpheus will be handled, originally played by Lawrence Fishburne. Some sources say the role may be recast for a younger take. All right, so Dustin and I talked about The Matrix a few times lately on the show, and we talked about how... Let me turn my headphones down. My God. We talked about how um, the idea that they would remake this or reboot it or something, and I specifically said on this show... I 
don't want any, you know, I, I, what they just did didn't even occur to me as something that they would do. I thought, you know, they can, um, the thing about the matrix is it is one of those universe where you could tell endless stories because the part of the world building of the matrix is that it goes through these iterations. It, it is birthed. It comes to, into existence. You know, the humans start escaping. Uh, the one is, um, manifested and, um, you know, brings an end to it or fails. Uh, and they go again, they run the simulation over and over again. So I think Neo is like the seventh or ninth one that's ever happened. Uh, so you could do a whole nother matrix story in the 10th iteration. The problem with that, of course, is that the audience already kind of knows what the matrix is. There's nothing that much. There's not that much to discover when it comes to the nature of the real, the real world. Um, so you kind of lose all that mystery and slow drip of discovery that you had in the, um, original trilogy. Um, but you could at least tell different stories. You could tell anthology stories. You could tell, um, you could do a little bit more bending the genre. You could tell horror stories, um, using the matrix or make it more horror leaning. You could tell Western story with the matrix, you know, the simulation, there's no reason it can't be, you know, especially with as popular as Westworld is, there's no reason it can't be something like that. I mean, Westworld, hell, it kind of is the matrix in a way, um, with the, the whole Western landscape. So there's a lot of things you could do with it. Now we still didn't want it, but the idea was objectively speaking, there is fresh ground. There is fresh powder on the ground here that you could, you had room to go with the franchise. Um, but what they've done is make a direct sequel with Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss, um, two characters who are dead. You know, the character, they die at the end of the Matrix trilogy. Trinity dies on the way to the Machine City. No, uh, Neo dies in the Machine City. <clears throat> Ironically, Morpheus lives. But he's the one they're recasting. I don't understand that at all. I don't, th- th- how the role of Morpheus will be handled. Like it, like it begs handling. What do you mean how it's going to be handled? The same way you handled Neo and Trinity. You cast the actors. Did Lawrence Fishburne have like a really public break with the Wachowskis? Did he go, uh, uh-uh, nope, don't want to work with them ever again, or Warner Brothers. But he's worked with Warner Brothers since, Justice League, Superman, like, he's, so it's not Warner Brothers, is it the Wachowskis? Did everyone just assume that he's too old to play Morpheus? Wasn't this guy Justin John Wick with Keanu Reeves? He's not too old to play Morpheus, to play like a, this 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 wise leader. You can do a whole bunch of the action in Lawrence Fishburne. I'm sure that he could do a fair amount of it on his own. I know the movie's 20 years old, but like, for God's sakes, he's not 90. So I don't know what their angle is. I don't know what the, I don't know what the whole I don't know why are we talking about recasting Morpheus? And to for a younger take, how the fuck does that work? A younger take. So Keanu Reeves, who's like 55, and Carrie Ann Moss, who's like, you know, somewhere in her 40s. Or 50s now, I guess. I don't know. I don't know, I don't know how old these people are. I think they're around 50, both of them. Anyways, you're going to have these two people play presumably older versions of their characters, but you're going to make Morpheus younger? I don't understand how that works. 
And granted, we don't know the plot, so I can't sit up here and judge the plot. And even if the plot was, that, even, even if the press release existed where, that told you, like, hey, here's what the film's going to be about. Um, even if that existed, I still wouldn't be sitting here going, I still couldn't sit here really and go, well, that won't work for this reason. But I'm telling you right now, like, I don't understand that at all. I don't. I'm not interested in this movie. This is the first, and, and tonight's theme, by the way, if you haven't guessed, is movies I'm not interested in seeing. And... I'm not interested in seeing a fourth Matrix. The second and third films aren't perfect, but they did conclude the story pretty neatly. And if you were to reboot the simulation, again, and maybe it's buried somewhere in one of the scripts, the idea that each simulation is the same people. Maybe Neo is the one in every single iteration. So maybe in this, if it, let's say he is. In this one, okay, he he he's discovered, he he becomes the one at a later time in his life. He doesn't he doesn't get found by the by Morpheus when he's like 30 or however old he was in the first film. He gets found in you know in his middle age. But again, to unlock to go through the what the romance arc with Carrie and Moss again or I I, I don't understand. I, I, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. But they're doing it. So, you know, whatever. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, do, do you want to see more Matrix films? Because again, like the only thing I was into was new characters, unknown actors make these could be star making films like they were for, for Keanu Reeves. You know, like the franchise had potential to be of to be a vehicle for lots of actors and to tell good sci fi stories. It would have been kind of gross still because you're you're bringing in the marketing with the Matrix a concept which, by the way, is not nearly as appealing to me now as it would have been in 1999. The whole idea of the internet's different and the digital landscape has changed. So I'm not even sure that this would really feel like The Matrix. I don't know. I don't know. This gets a no vote for me. I think so. Um, I got another little interesting piece of news from MovieWeb. According to Bob Odenkirk, the Breaking Bad movie has already been shot. So, <laughs> Bob Odenkirk, Bob Odenkirk, of course, Better Call Saul, played Saul Goodman um, in the original Breaking Bad series, and the spinoff Better Call Saul is doing really well. So, Bob Odenkirk says the movie's been shot already. The Breaking Bad movie, which, by the way, no one has really come out and said that the movie's actually happening. Um... But Bob Odenkirk was being uh, interviewed uh, by somebody. Doesn't say who. Anyway, <clears throat> someone, yeah, he says, I've heard so many different things about it, but I'm excited about the Breaking Bad movie. I, just, I can't wait to see it. Um, it's believed that the movie centers on Jesse Pinkman, Aaron Paul's character, in the aftermath of the final episode of the, of the hit AMC series. Odenkirk said, I don't know what people know. And don't know. I find it hard to believe you don't know it was shot. They did it. You know what I mean? How is that a secret? But it is. They've done an amazing job of keeping it a secret. Uh, The article says, uh, Aaron Paul is starring in the Breaking Bad movie, but he has kept his mouth shut about the project over the last several months, even going as far as to take a social media break when production began. It didn't take long for diehard fans to notice production crews set up all around the now famous set locations of the original show in the New Mexico area, which quickly saw pictures <clears throat> find their way on social media. While details are fuzzy at the moment, the excitement is starting to build. 
Brian Cranston has pretty much confirmed the Breaking Bad movie without ever explicitly saying anything. Cranston and Aaron Paul have had been on have been on the same responses when asked about the secret movie, noting they haven't heard about it, but they'd love to be a part of it should it come into fruition. While Paul's role is confirmed, fans are still waiting to hear if Cranston's infamous Walter White makes a return. The two actors were recently teasing something big on social media, but it ended up being for their joint effort, Dos Hombres, Mezcal, Tequila. Um... As for how Cranston would make a comeback, most Breaking Bad fans are in agreement that it would have to be through flashbacks. This makes the most sense since it looks like White died during the last episode to let Jesse Pinkman escape. Regardless if Cranston isn't involved, we're about to get some much-needed closure on the Pinkman story, which is something fans have wondered about ever since the show came to an end in September 23rd. No, they haven't. No, they have not. We didn't wonder. I didn't wonder. But I'm going to speak for everybody, because we, we like hyperbole, right? This is the internet, isn't it? Is this... Oh, hold on. Let me check my watch. There's still... Is this still the... Is this still the internet? Hello? Is this the internet? Are you... Yep. Yep. Okay. Just checking. Still on the internet. We are still the internet. Uh, and on the internet, we love to make pejorative, um, broad generalizations and speak for others. So I'm speaking for everybody. We did not know, or care, or wonder what happened... After Jesse Pinkman leaves the compound at the end of the show, we don't know because it doesn't matter. What matters is that guy is free. He's free. He got out. He got away from Walter White. He got away from the danger. He is flying the coop. And that's why he's so happy. At the, at the, at he's, that's why he screams and yells and he's in tears at the end of the movie. He is just happy to be the fuck out of Albuquerque. That is the story. It is not important where he goes next. We don't need the closure. I don't need the closure. I don't want to see Walter White return. I don't want him to survive the his wounds at the end of the film. That seems like it would kind of ruin the actual show. You know, if they did this as a continuation of Aaron Paul, like where does Jesse Pinkman go after the? That wouldn't ruin the show for me. That would just be like you could just ignore that. You could just be like, whatever. That, that has nothing to do with the show. But if you have Walter White survive, that changes the ending of the, of the show. The whole point is that he dies. That's the idea. And yeah, even if they do him through flashbacks, I don't need any more of Walter White in flashbacks. It doesn't serve like a thematic purpose. It doesn't even serve a narrative purpose. Now, to play devil's damn advocate, I said the same thing about Better Call Saul. Okay? Now, while I'm not currently watching the show, that that's mainly because of inconvenience. I didn't have the cable subscription midway through the show, and... AMC app and a bunch of other stuff. So um, I only haven't kept up with the show because I've been unable to. But I watched like three seasons of it. Um, and I I love Better Call Saul. I don't like it as much as Breaking Bad, but in terms of execution, it is right there on the execution level. I'm not as invested in Saul or that cast of characters, but they did a spectacular job giving me an ensemble cast of characters I do care about. And when the show was announced, I was like, oh, there we go. We're going to squeeze the money tree for Breaking Bad and just make a ton of spinoffs that don't make any sense, whatever. And and the show's great. So maybe the movie can be great, too. But I think the difference is with with Better Call Saul, there was always the caveat of like, well, if they mess this up, at least they're messing up a prequel backstory to a side character that got popular. 
here, if they mess this up, they're messing with the actual story conclusions of characters I do love. And I was happy where the story ended. And now I have to sort of throw all that emotion. It's almost like, you know, oh, I thought this was mine. I thought the story was mine now. And now I have to give it back to them so they can fuck with it. And then they'll give it back to me and maybe I'll still like it. Maybe I'll like it better, but there's just, just a, a much bigger chance that they'll hand it back to me. And I'll be like, you, you ruined it. Look at this. You ruined it. I don't want this anymore. This was perfect. And then you took it back and ruined it. I'm not interested in this at all. I really am not. I'm sure I'll see some trailer that's going to look awesome. But you guys all know, getting my ass in a seat in a theater these days takes a lot to do. It takes a lot of emotional investment, Marvel. Or it takes a lot of, you know, curiosity in the product itself. Incredibles. John Wick. Okay. I'm going to go see it next weekend. You know, that's because I want to see a horror movie in the theater. It looks like it's going to be going to be bananas. I'm not going to a theater or Netflix, whatever. Even if this came on Netflix, I don't think I would watch it. I really don't. And that's not hyperbole. That's just why I could watch other things. I got other shit to do. I don't just sit around and watch Netflix. Oh, God. All right. Let's do one more story before the break. This is an opinion piece that I skimmed on the Hollywood Reporter, so take this as you will. It's by Chris Yogurst. So it's sort of like yogurt. Chris Yogurt. The hunt may be a victim of America's misdirected outrage. I don't know what his credentials is. Let's see. Let's check on his credentials here. Chris Yerst is an assistant professor of communication at the University of uh, the University of Wisconsin Milwaukee. His book on the 1941 U.S. Senate investigation into the motion picture propaganda is forthcoming from the University Press of Mississippi. So there's his plug. There's his credentials. He's a teacher of this shit. Usually is that kind of thing. Gas columns are usually by people who know what they're talking about because you know. Say what you will about journalism, but they do still have editors who vet stuff like this. Not well, not detail always, but it's not like the editors just don't exist anymore. So, the article <clears throat> is about the hunt, which we've been talking about on the show, and it's been in the news for like the last month. That was that film about people hunting people um, around politically charged ideas. Uh, the president wasn't a fan of what he thinks it is, um, and other people aren't fans of it in general, um, and some people, whatever. The film got delayed. The theater release got um, canceled or delayed or whatever, blah, 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 because of the mass shootings in um, Ohio, and um, damn it, where the hell was the other one? Whatever, the the, the shootings, Okay. All right. Uh, it's an interesting column, and you could check it out. It's it's always nice to see things like this to have a conversation around social culture as it relates to movies. Sometimes it's only about movies or about social culture, but it's never. Therefore, I don't talk about it. But I want to talk about a little bit about how to view this film getting affected by things. 
Um, he says, um, let's just read a few paragraphs here. When Universal called off the September 27th release of The Hunt amid criticism of its violence and polarizing political themes, both under heightened scrutiny amid a wave of U.S. mass shootings in early August, the move brought fresh attention to an age-old debate about the impact of entertainment on culture. The argument that movies are the root of social ills has been around as long as motion pictures themselves, and President Trump has recently refocused his age-old polemic to attack video games. But the central problem with blaming popular culture for any alarm trend is that the tactic has a long history of misdirected outrage. Sometimes, and here's a few films we talked about uh, on the morning show, sometimes films get delayed because their release lands uncomfortably close to similar events playing out in real life. For example, 2013's Gangster Squad was delayed and subject to reshoots after the 2012 Aurora shootings in Colorado. Other films find themselves subject to political pressure, such as ABC's The Path to 9-11, which attracted pressure from the Clintons and their allies. The miniseries was almost canceled and is still unavailable on DVD. Universal's recent cancellation of The Hunt represents both factors, sensitivity to tragic events and political intimidation. Um, excuse me. Um, films like the Jason Blum hunt produced the hunt about elitists hunting other humans for sport date back to 1932's the most dangerous game. Dozens of such films have spawned myriad angles of this warped version of hunting. Not the least recent, not least the recent purge films, the response to the hunt complete with the threats of violence against the filmmakers and producers mirrors the death threats hurled at the path up to nine 11 filmmakers. Um, Universal's decision to shelve the project came after President Trump tweeted that the hunt was, quote, made to inflame and cause chaos. The director spoke out, telling Variety that, quote, our ambition was to poke at both sides of the aisle equally. We seek to entertain and unify, not enrage and divide. It is up to the viewer to decide what their takeaway will be. I don't think a film about people hunting people as much as you claim to take both sides will actually unify people. Because at the end of the day, even if you have the characters go, oh, you know what? We're, we should We should come together. It's like, yeah, but you spent the whole film hunting people and no matter what that kind of shocking controversial imagery is going to stick with people so they're not really going to listen or stick around for the message it's hard to come back from murdering people um the guy continues we live in a culture where both pundits and audiences make determinations about movies long before they are released Planning the rollout for a film with any edgy political material is swimming in shark-infested waters. Both the political left and right have waged battles against specific productions, which says less about any manipulative manipulative quality of the medium and more uh, Washington's fear of popular culture. Let's say this real quick. This isn't just Washington's fear of popular culture, okay? It's other people's too. And I know, I get it. He wants to poke at Trump because Trump's words may have ended up getting a movie canceled. But this is not a White House problem. This is a societal problem. Hollywood usually defends the creators. Uh, Studio moguls during the golden age were no strangers to threats of violence. Um, uh, In fact, a plan to gun down many prominent Hollywood Jews was foiled in the 1930s, and the studios continued with business as usual for all of Hollywood's high-profile strains. Uh, stains uh, for folding to fear-mongering during the blacklist era. The industry has also has a long legacy of successfully defending itself against political pressure. Um, Form it, sorry. Um, 
Hollywood came under deep political scrutiny in 1941 after studios began to make anti-Nazi films like Confessions of a Nazi Spy, The Moral Storm, and The Great Dictator. Isolationist, isolationist pressure was rising while the American First Movement, counting among its leaders aviator Charles Lindbergh and Senator Gerald Nye of North Dakota, was spouting anti-Hollywood and anti-Semitic rhetoric. The result was a government investigation into motion picture propaganda mere months prior to an attack on Pearl Harbor. I don't think this is the same thing. There's no investigation into Hollywood. There's no probing and telling Hollywood what kind of films it can make. There is none of that. The president saying that he thinks the film, the president spouting off opinions, unfounded or not, about a film that causes people to be outraged about it. Again, it's a controversial subject. If nothing was divisive about the plot, he could say whatever he wanted. You could say, oh, he, the president could talk about how much he hates Toy Story 4. Oh, it looks like a this, this. But if the, if it's, if the, if, evidence of that isn't already right there in front of you in bold letters, you could just go, dude, what are you talking about? Toy Story 4 has nothing to do with this agenda or that agenda. Whatever. Just go go over, go sit in the corner. But to say those sort of things about a film like this, I'm not saying he's right. I haven't seen the film. I don't know what it is. I'm not saying Hollywood's wrong. I'm just saying that when you say that kind of stuff about a thing that looks like it's about that thing, it carries some water. So it's not, and again, it's not the same as launching investigations into Hollywood. It's not, the president doesn't appear to me to think that movies like this are propaganda. They're a little salacious. Yeah, a little salacious, but it's it's a movie. (sighs) Let's move up past, he's he's basically presenting a ton of cases here. Music was blamed for cultural fears in the 1920s, 1950s, 1980s. Comic books saw their formal investigation in the 1950s, but drew criticism again in the 1980s with the rise of adult graphic novels. By the 1990s, violent video games were the popular stooge for school shootings and other ills. In each instance, critics blamed popular culture for social issues that have much deeper roots, such as poverty and educational disparity. Movies often mirror the current world, so how does a satirical thriller like The Hunt not not fit the bill for today's polarized audiences. That article is on the HollywoodReporter.com. There's merit to both sides of this argument. You know, it's I don't think it's prop. It's not propaganda. Uh, I don't I don't see it as that. At least, sorry about that. God. Um, I don't see it that way. At least. Okay, but. I look. There's an exception to every rule, but I want to look at the the probable majority here. Are most people influenced by films or do people influence films? You could argue someone sees a movie like The Hunt and then thinks that it's okay to go shoot people they don't agree with, but most people aren't that. Those would be people who are already crazy and they just needed a trigger to sort of activate them. And yeah, maybe the film hasn't come out. That person doesn't get triggered. There is no you know crime committed in the future. But that gets into a bunch of weird things like, well, hell, if we remove all the triggers from society, like we seem like we're already trying to do, well, then no one does anything, says anything. And, um, and, and that's bad too. So there's that worldview. The other one is where you believe that society influences films. And I'll, I'll tell you this, 
studios don't want to make films that espouse messages or plot lines that are counter to public sentiment. Okay, a studio is not going to make a movie. Most studios will not make movies about something that the public generally finds unpopular. We can't make a movie about how bullying is cool. Society largely believes bullying is not cool. And again, corporations aren't people. It's not because corporations know that bullying is bad. Corporations just know that bullying is not profitable. No one's going to pay money to watch a movie where we talk about bullying being awesome and we should do it more. Because nobody agrees with that. Okay, so in that way, I can tell you empirically, yes, movies are made based on, you know, there's marketing, you know, focus group stuff done all the time about what people are into. And that drives the kind of scripts that get produced. You're always, the Hollywood's always trying to stay ahead of the curve, predict social trends, monitor social trends. Is this idea still popular? You notice how there haven't been that many more uh, young adult novels being adapted these days? God, after, especially toward the end of Harry Potter, it was The Lightning Thief and The Hunger Games and uh, Divergent, and all these things were getting made. The 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 Maze Runner, all that stuff. Young adult novels, that was the thing. Twilight, all that junk. Young adult novels. And then suddenly, they someone just went into the boardroom one day and was like, hey, um, if you pay attention to the box office numbers and books, sales of those types of books, and like these social media influencers, it looks like uh, we're trending away from from the young adult novels being popular. Oh shit. Okay. Let's find out what's, what's next. And they stopped making them largely. I don't see that many of them these days because they seem like they ran their course, you know, star Wars to me, to me at least has run its course. People don't agree with me there though. So I'm not saying that there is a, a wide societal hunger for a movie like this, again, I said most people, you can't please everybody. So you try to please the majority. Or you make a film that's meant to sort of subvert society's view of a subject. Or use something controversial and eyeball-catching like this plot to talk about ideas. You just gotta be careful because, um, yeah, you can't make, you know, certain movies are gonna be are going to people are going to be sensitive to their plots based on what's going on around them. And that's the trick with films like this. You know, in a way you had to sort of expect like, Hey, what is your backup plan? You know, your movie is about people hunting people and using guns to, to do that. So what's your backup plan? If something does happen or if theaters go, Hey man, this is like too close to home for this subject or this subject or this reason or that reason. Um, we don't, we're not going to release this. What's your backup plan for getting the message out there? Because I'm not, I'm not arguing, by the way, that movies like this shouldn't be made. I think you should be able to make whatever kind of movie you want. And if the market supports you, or if whatever, you finance it yourself, you employ all the people who work on it, and you don't make any money off of it, but you're fulfilled because you, you've made your art, well then fine. Um, but I gotta say that if you're gonna do that, you have to be ready for disappointment or controversy or not a lot of money being made or this reason or that reason. It's an interesting article, interesting ideas. It's interesting, interesting stuff. All right, let's run on the break. When we come back, we're doing the rest of the show on Spider-Man. Very interested to um, get into this subject. 
tell you my thoughts and uh, round out the episode. Uh, Hoopercast Movie Hour, we will be right back. Hoopercast movie hour. It is Connor again, and um, I'm gonna have to warn you. I'm pretty passionate about this subject. I'm gonna swear a lot, and it's gonna be offensive. You've been forewarned. The article from Deadline. You know what? Let's back up. Let's just set up. 22 films the MCU had. 22 movies. And somewhere in the the late middle there, we got introduced to Peter Parker and his Spider-Man in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, a feat that was only made possible through a special partnership with Sony, who still owned the film rights to the character. Kevin Feige Feige on the Marvel... Marvel, Sorry. uh, Executive. And he made this happen. He teamed up with Amy Pascal to serve as creative producer on the Sony films for Spider-Man for no salary, I think. And in return, the MCU would get to use Peter Parker and his Spider-Man with their heroes. We introduced Spider-Man Civil War. We got to know him in Spider-Man Homecoming. From there, we saw him in Infinity War. Uh, He came back in Avengers Endgame. And we just saw him out again, Spider-Man Far From Home, to close out the Infinity Saga of the MCU. And at the end of Far From Home, we got a very fulfilling and exciting end uh, to that part of his life and to the future, where he'd finally moved on from the shadow of Tony Stark. He became his own hero. Um, you know, he, he, he self-actualized, and the future was bright until his secret identity is revealed to the world. And it hints at a very personal and difficult road for Peter uh, going through phase four of the Marvel films. So you heard the show. We were excited about this. Everything's cool. And there was some brief thing lately, you know, between then and now where apparently it became it became public knowledge that part of the Sony deal with Marvel was Spider-Man Far From Home has to make a billion dollars internationally or the partnership is dissolved. And Spider-Man met the goal. And I remember thinking at the time, and I said this on the show, that Sony was make, doing what Sony does. It was flexing. It was like, hey, we got this. Let's flex a little bit. Let's just remind everyone who's boss, because we're Sony. Sony, all right, yeah. And it made over a billion, and there was no talk of severance, whatever. So everything seemed fine. And then the other day, Someone sends me a message and says, look, you know, go online. And I see this article on Deadline. Disney, Sony, standoff, ends Marvel Studios and Kevin Feige's involvement in Spider-Man. The article goes, 
Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige will not produce any further Spider-Man films because of an inability by Disney and Sony Pictures to reach new terms that would have given the former, Disney, a co-financing stake going forward. A dispute that has taken place over the past few months at the top of Disney and Sony has essentially nixed Feige and the future involvement of Marvel from the Spider-Man universe, sources said. means Disney wanted a piece of the films and Sony said nope and we're done imagine asking someone imagine making a sandwich with somebody together I don't know why you would do this but let's just let's just pretend you make you you've made sandwiches in the past they've done well you've done them for free previously you know you used their ingredients but because of you know but it's like it's almost like someone's like you know you and your friend your friend's got all the ingredients, but they have no idea how to make a sandwich. They've tried it twice before. It sucked. Nobody liked it. Everyone made fun of them for making shitty sandwiches. And you said, listen, I know you can't give me the ingredients, but I know how to make a better sandwich than you. So let me help you make this sandwich and people will like it. And then we can use your sandwich in our shop and make money from that too. And it will be mutually beneficial to keep the sandwich popular. And so they go, okay, cool. And then they tell you, oh, if this last sandwich doesn't make a certain amount of money, we can't be in business anymore. And then you meet the expectations. You know, it's like, oh, yep, don't worry. It made the money. And the whole time you're making sandwiches together, you're not taking a salary at all. You're helping them for free. It just benefits your shop and you indirectly, I guess, but not directly. You don't get a salary for being the sandwich maker. You just get paid for working for the shop. Okay. You still with me? The sandwich sells the required amount of units and then some. It surpasses expectations, surpasses the mark set by the guy with the ingredients, and you think everything's happy. And then they say, hey, you know what? I've seen you make sandwiches enough times. I think I can do it by myself. So thanks a lot, uh, but I'm going to take my ingredients back elsewhere. and I'm going to open my own shop again. And that's what Sony did with Spider-Man. And you can sit there and go like, hey, well, I mean, it is their ingredient, whatever. They tried this twice. Okay, they ruined or they broke down creative um, communication on Spider-Man 4 for Sam Raimi. And he was like, you know what? I made Spider-Man 3. I'm done. They tried to reboot it with Mark Webb, Andrew Garfield, Emma Stone. The the movies were, were critical bombs. I don't think they made that much money. And Sony walked away embarrassed and reportedly was really angry that they even had to consider working with Kevin Feige. But now the character is more popular than ever. It, this character was in the biggest movie of all time. And because he was, people filled out and spent over a billion dollars worldwide to see Spider-Man Far From Home. And now Sony decided, and so it's time to renegotiate the contract. And Disney said, listen, we don't make any, we make 5% of the box office now from the Spider-Man movies. You know, we should be making half. I think it's reasonable now for us to ask for half. You know, we made the character what he is. My creative direction, me, Kevin Feige, my creative direction has played a large part in the success of this character. The creative decisions that I made resulted in people connecting with the character. They respond to this version of Peter Parker. And that's all due to me and the company I work for, Disney. You know, so we can to be partners. We're not asking for the whole Megillah, but we want we want an even split now. We want a fair split. We've spent two movies now 
basically doing this for free or getting very little return for our efforts to shape this character. And it's renegotiation time. Let's, you know, let's, let's be partners. And Sony not only said no, there was no counteroffer. Like, no, how about 10%? They said, nope, we're done. How dare you even ask us, you fuck faces? That's what it comes off as. This comes at a moment when the last two films Kevin Feige produced broke all-time records. Disney's Avengers Endgame became the highest-grossing film of all time, and Spider-Man Far From Home this week surpassed the James Bond film Skyfall to become the all-time highest-grossing film for Sony Pictures. Sources said there are two more Spider-Man films in the works, and the studio hopes to have director John Watts and Tom Holland front and center, though Watts doesn't have a deal for the next picture and isn't a lock to return. That isn't helped by the fact that unless something dramatic happens, Feige won't be the lead creative producer on those pictures. This all, of course, comes down to money, and it's easy to understand why both sides refuse to give ground. Disney asked that future Spider-Man films be a 50-50 co-financing arrangement between the studios, and there were discussions that this might extend to other films in the Spider-Man universe. Sony turned down that offer flat. Sources said that Sony, led by Tom Rothman and Tony Vincicera, came back with other configurations, but Disney didn't want to do that, but Sony did not want to share its biggest franchise Sure, Disney would be putting up half the funding, but the risk in how, is in how much you are going to make back in profit. Disney wasn't at all interested in continuing the current terms where Marvel receives in the range of 5% of first dollar gross, sources said. Okay. So here's the um, the the writer editorializing a little bit. So here's a little interesting tidbit. Essentially, this means that Sony will have to try to win a championship without Michael Jordan. After all, Feige's first decade at Marvel is largely unblemished and has consistently been nothing short of historic. Even George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, and Peter Jackson can't or haven't seen everything turn into a hit. So maybe... And so maybe only James Cameron has the success record that Feige has achieved, but Feige has done it all in the last 10 years, producing and overseeing 23 superheroes with not a flop in the bunch. They've all been number one openers that have collectively grossed $26.8 billion. Feige this year became the producer of the top grossing film ever for two studios, Sony and Disney, and he produced three of the top four highest-grossing films this year in Avengers Endgame, Captain Marvel, and Spider-Man Far From Home. After scoring the first-ever Best Picture Oscar nom for a superhero film last year with Black Panther, I can't think of a Hollywood producer, executive, who has done anything close to this. Sources say Disney's hot brass for the past several months have sought new terms for Feige and the Marvel cross-pollination to continue. As the Spider-Man relationship grew, Feige and Sony Pictures chief Tom Rothman spoke about the possibility of a wider involvement in the Sony-controlled Spider-Man universe, which contains 900 characters. Uh, It is understandable that the fiscally shrewd Rothman would balk at giving up half the Sony's biggest franchise to Marvel. After all, Marvel already owns the merchandising on Spider-Man. Does the mouse really need half the movie universe also? Sony so far has decided that as valuable as Feige is, Disney is asking too high a price. 
<sighs> Sources said that Sony reasoned that they will be fine without Feige. The creative template has been set for the Spider-Man films, and Watts and Holland are in place along with Amy Pascal, who became producer with Feige after she exited the executive suite after presiding over the previous Spider-Man iterations directed by Sam Raimi and Mark Webb as Sony Pictures' chief. And sources know that Venom was a problem picture far and far from the polished product that was that grossed $856 million worldwide until Rothman himself spent a good long time in the editing room helping to get it there. <sighs> Here's the last paragraph that, that sucks. The Venom sequel is well underway with Andy Serkis directing Tom Hardy and there is a Morbius with and there's Morbius with Jared Leto, Craven the Hunter, and another spinoff with the characters Silver Sable and Black Cat, and a Sinister Six film that got shelved. Sony, which once felt like the ticking clock of generating a Spider-Man film every three or so years to prevent the rights reversion to Disney, now has plenty of pictures to make, and the studio also won the Best Animated Pic- Feature Oscar for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, a smash hit they made on their own. <sighs> I got other articles to cite here, but let's just talk about this real quick. Um, this is, this, there was a skit on the, on Dave Chappelle. It's called when keeping it real goes wrong. If you never saw it, it was essentially all about when someone would insult somebody and you had a, you had in that moment, you have a choice to make. Am I going to keep it real? Like, am I going to let this comment go? Or am I going to keep it real and remind this person who the fuck I am? And it was always about how you decide to respond directly like, you don't talk to me like that. And then like your life turns, takes a turn for the worse because you, you reacted. And this is when keeping it real goes wrong. Sony. And by the way, Disney didn't walk around and go, Oh, 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 it's all us. This is Sony having little man syndrome. They see all the success of Avengers, all the love for Spider-Man. And they essentially, it seems to me that they think that the public associates Spider-Man and positive feelings with Disney and not with Sony. And instead of just kind of quietly going, eh, let's just pocket the money. The films are doing well. Who cares what the public thinks? Let's take the money. They seem to go, you know what? We need people to understand that we can do this on our own. It's like they have a chip on their shoulder from the previous Spider-Man films. And so, like a child, they go, you know what? We're going to go again. It's just, I can smell the spite. I can taste it. Mm. Normally it tastes good. I'm all a fan of uh, some good old fashioned spite. But in this case, it's just, I mean, this pissed people, this, this pisses me off as a fan of the MCU and of this Spider-Man. We'll talk about my feelings in a minute, but I just want to get, I don't want to get, I want to talk about the business side of this. I get it. They want to keep the money. You know, they think that Disney makes enough on the toys or whatever, you know, but it just comes off like little man syndrome. Let's prove, let's do this on our own. But it's right there in the article. The template's been set. They have a version of Peter Parker that the public likes. And people like the movies. So they'll keep watching even after the Disney split because all those factors remain. It's just a shitty thing to do, really. You use Kevin Feige and Disney to make money, to make this franchise successful again. I mean, was this the plan? Was the plan to to revitalize interest in the brand and then cut Disney out? Was that always the plan? 
Now, I will say this. At least they did it after Far From Home. At least Spidey's story within the MCU and with Tony Stark is concluded. So at least this doesn't create any like direct continuity errors. So thank God for that. That would suck. But it came off to me like... I don't know. It's just a shitty thing to do. It's like, oh, hey, thanks for getting us started. Thanks. It's a, it, it, again another analogy. It's like in the movies where, like, you know, the local cops stumble upon this big conspiracy, and at some point the feds show up. The those the, the dickhead feds show up and they go, hey, man, yep, this is a federal investigation now. Thank you. Give us all your evidence. We'll take it from here. It's like, oh, cool. We just did like all the work, and you guys sort of sat back and let us do that, and now you want to take over and take credit for it. And pretend like you did everything. Like, fuck you. Seriously. It's shitty. It's a shitty thing to do. It's shitty. This is shitty business. And maybe it's just business, but this is bullshit business. There's an article on comicbook.com from uh, earlier, uh, from a little bit more recently. Um, you know, Marvel had planned Peter-focused Spider-Man 3 before this all happened. You know, after the whole point, and, and, and a lot of people's main complaint about Peter Parker in the MCU was he just doesn't feel like as much like Spider-Man as previous as, as the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man did because he's part of this big universe and then, you know, Uncle Ben's on the picture. And so there's a few things that are different. But the points to me seem to be to have him grow into a more independent and self-assured Peter Parker by way of the MCU into more of his own universe. You know, we already sort of figured that the next Spider-Man would take place without any Avengers characters around and in New York. And we were excited to get that. And it was pulled from us. You know, Kevin Feige even said back in like July, it'll be fun to see Spidey back in his element out of the shadow of Tony, out of the shadow of the other Avengers, his as his own man now, as his own hero, and yet and yet now facing his own challenges that aren't coming from Avengers fighting like in Civil War or aliens coming like in Infinity War. It's all Peter focused and Peter based. Um He said that he said that when the, the reveal of Peter's secret identity gave them a chance to do something completely different than's ever been done with Spider-Man in films before. You know, the, it, not just a few people knowing his identity, everybody knowing who Peter Parker and Spider-Man are. He said the how and the when of the, and the specifics can change and evolve, but setting yourself up for something that has never been done before. At the end of Iron Man, it was a hero publicly outing himself so that in the next movies and all subsequent movies, we couldn't fall back on the secret identity trope, which had been part of Iron Man's story for decades in the comics. And now people know Peter's identity. People now think he's a villain. Mysterio plays one last trick on him and succeeds. It means everything's different. Where it goes, we'll see, but it's exciting that it once again sets us up for a Peter Parker story that has never been done before on film. Then they couldn't reach an agreement. None of that's happening now. Sony, um, yeah, there's that. (sighs) Now here's Sony's thing. Sony has a response. They tried to spin it. On Variety, they said they're disappointed by Disney's divorce on um, the, the the Disney split on the projects. Uh, they got in public on it. 
In a rare public rebuke to Disney, Sony announced Tuesday night that it was disappointed over the decision, highlighting Disney's refusal highlighting Disney's refusal to allow Marvel president Kevin Feige to continue as a producer on the projects. So their spin is that, oh, it's not our fault. Disney wouldn't let Feige continue. It also praised Feige, who teamed with Amy Pascal on Spider-Man Far From Home, which became Sony's most successful release earlier this week in terms of global box office. Quote, much of today's news about Spider-Man has mischaracterized recent discussions about Kevin Feige's involvement in the franchise, they said in a statement. We are disappointed but respect Disney's decision not to have him continue as a lead producer of our next live-action Spider-Man film. We hope this might change in the future, but understand that the many new responsibilities that Disney has given him, including all their newly added Marvel properties, do not allow time for him to work on IP they do not own, the statement continued. Kevin is terrific, and we are grateful for his help and guidance and appreciate the path he has helped put us on, which we will continue. So this effectively removes Tom Holland's Spider-Man from the MCU. He'll just up and not be a part of it. The dispute stems from Disney's demand that future Spider-Man films will be financed, blah, blah, blah. So we already told you all that. Um, Sony is widely believed to be developing two more Spider-Man movies with Holland reprising his role as the web slinger, but has not officially announced those titles. <sighs> I don't know what the truth is. Honestly, like, and I, I don't say, I, I really do say this just because of years of history with the studio's antics. I don't think Sony's telling the truth. Normally it's like, oh, well, there's two sides of the story. I think they are full of shit. I think they're full of shit. Because from those other articles, like, you know, the combo.com and, and, and Deadline, all that stuff, according to an insider with knowledge of the Sony Disney talks, Sony film chief Tom Rothman feels confident the studio, fresh off the success of Venom and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, no longer needs Feige's guidance to shepherd a healthy Spider-Man franchise, even if that franchise is severed from the MCU. Yeah, you could make two more movies with this character, severed from the MCU, you know, get five more percent of the dollars. But this just looks bad. No matter how innocent it may have been, according to Sony, this looks bad. And again, oh, let's let's pretend just for a second, play devil's advocate. Sony's telling the truth. It, Disney won't let Kevin Feige be involved. They won't let him. They're the bad guy, not us. But they wouldn't let him because of the deal that you wouldn't agree to. It was a fair deal, a 50-50 split. My God, you're both making money. Be happy. But they're being greedy, and they're being petty, and they're being prideful. Because of all that, they refused the deal. So the the reality is Sony didn't want to agree to a deal. Disney didn't want to agree to some other deal, to, to other things they tried to offer them, whatever. But even if Sony's telling the truth, Disney won't allow Kevin to continue. I guarantee you Kevin Feige wanted to continue no matter what, because he loves Spider-Man. So yeah, I'm sure it's true that Disney wouldn't let him continue. But it's not that like Disney's like, nope, Kevin, let's go. We're, we're leaving. No, Kevin, let's go. We're leaving. It all started with you making a decision to not be fair to your collaborators. And again, like, well, you know, you know, we were thankful for, for the path he helped set us on. Like, he did all the work, basically. 
Do you guys remember The Amazing Spider-Man? That was some schoolyard bullshit. The costume looked like shit. Andrew Garfield, you know, the take that they decided to go in, this this emo dick face Peter Parker, who is actually kind of a douchebag, like a like a millennial, like snarky, shitty attitude, Peter Parker. Not even consistent with the character, no earnestness, no kindness, no um no um fighting spirits, just 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 kind of airheaded douchiness. Do you remember those films? I do. That's Sony. Don't ever forget. That is Sony. Now, who do I not feel bad for? I don't feel bad for Tom Holland because this doesn't really affect him. I'm sure it's disappointing creatively, but on a business level, whatever. It doesn't really change anything for him. I don't know what John Watts is going to do. They say he's not signed on for the other two movies. So the question becomes, did, I mean, because, you know, when for Spider-Man Homecoming and Spider-Man Far From Home, you know, John Watts, everyone in that production works for Sony. Those are Sony films. So John Watts can sit there and go, okay, what should I do? You know, if Kevin's the one who really he most directly collaborated with, I can see him not being interested in going forward with Sony because of his relationship with them or his not relationship with them. But if Sony brought him on and Sony believed in him and Sony kind of was the one who was really there with him the whole time, I can see him going like, well, look, I love the character. I love Tom Holland. I, you know, I have a good relationship with Sony. I don't know why he wouldn't sign on. It's doubtful to me that he would. I don't, he's, he doesn't have a lot else going on. So John Watts will probably stick around and do the movies. Now, if he didn't, that's interesting. Because then you have the absence of Kevin Feige and John Watts. The only thing that would feel the same about those films would be Tom Holland and Zendaya. You know, but creatively it would not resemble the other films at all. So I don't know. Depends on who he's tighter with. And again, it's good. Spider-Man effectively is not wrapped up. He's not wrapped up in the MCU, but his role in the MCU is is it is at its most minimal point right now. You know, his his next problem is in New York with characters that are not connected to the MCU. It's all characters within Sony's universe. So that's good. Right. Creatively, that's good. It's disappointing because I would have liked to have seen him interacting with the new Avengers more, being more of a leader, collaborating with Captain Marvel and these other people, like, you know, coming into his own, being Peter, you know, the, um, the, um, the, the spectacular Spider-Man. I would have liked to see that and we're still going to get to see it, but we're not going to get to see him with the Avengers anymore. Now, maybe there is something hidden in, the lang- hidden in the language here where he can still be in the Avengers films, you know, and Kevin Feige just won't be helping with the solo films. But no one else is bringing that up, so there must be something in the language that prevents even that. Because for a while I thought, oh, okay, well, fine, the, 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 so- the solo films may not be that great anymore, you know, or they'll be the same, but at least he can still come over and be in the Avengers movies and share the character and that would be fine. But at that point, like even if that was the case, what would be the point? 
so you know if Kevin Feige's not on board the solo films those movies are just going to go off and do their own thing and they may not line up with the master plan of the MCU so it'd be hard to use Spider-Man in any large capacity anyways because you constantly have to be figuring out too late in the game okay where is he where did Sony leave him last whereas when Feige's involved, he's part of shaping the whole overall narrative. So he knows where he wants Spider-Man to be at the end of the movie. And he can dictate that to them and they can go, okay, we'll write to that end. If he's not in, on the team at Sony anymore, they can write him wherever they want. Kevin Feige can't say shit about it. And they just basically go, here's where he is the end. And you go, okay, okay. You know, so even if there was still a half chance, we'd see him in the MCU, just not in a solo film with Feige, it wouldn't be good or it wouldn't be large part. Because he's just going to be harder to control. There's a small part of me that thinks this feels familiar. This feels like the James Gunn situation. I have that same feeling of, I don't know, I just, I hope they can work it out. And thank God they did. When James Gunn got rehired on to reinstated on Guardians 3, I was ecstatic. If they found a way to to make a deal here, I'd be ecstatic. You know, it, I just don't know what that deal is, what it looks like. I don't know what it is. People aren't happy. Jeremy Renner came out and was like, this is, this is, hey, we want our boy back. I saw some meme today of uh, Spider-Man crying in the arms of Mickey Mouse and he was he was pointing an angry finger. Um, Mickey Mouse is pointing an angry finger at Sony for making Spider-Man cry. And the meme said, uh, don't make me come over there and buy you too. <laughs> Which would be hilarious. I think I worked all my energy out on that. That might do it, guys. I'm upset. It's not going to ruin my life. Again, the character is in the least impactful place now for this disruption. So I'm not worried overall about the MCU. I just wanted to see more Spider-Man. I wanted to see him grow and, and, and work more with these characters and be more of a leader. And now I'm not going to get to see that. And I don't know that I'm interested in these Spider-Man films now anymore because I the last time Sony made a Spider-Man movie on their own, it was shitty. And I wasted my life. The two-hour commentary we did, we recorded was way better than the movie itself. And that's Sony. They make garbage that they hope will make money. I'm not really into the way they operate. Yeah. That's it. That's the Hypercast Movie Hour. Sorry, I hope you're interested in all that stuff. I'm tired. I'm, I'm physically exhausted talking for an hour and change about film news. Um, that is it. That's the show this week. Um, tune in for the, uh, well, at this point, it's mid-Friday. Okay, so yeah, tune in on Monday for the Hoopercast uh, Untitled Mini Show. I'm thinking of a name, okay? I'm, I'm thinking of a name. We'll have one soon. But I'm getting so used to saying Hoopercast Untitled Mini Show that I might just call it that. Uh, I won't. I'll change it to something punny and exciting. Um, yeah, next week, um, Cynthia's on. We're watching Demolition Man. And uh, business as usual the week after that, I think. So that's it. Hoopercast Movie Hour. Thanks for listening. Uh, talk to you later. Later.